Welcome to another episode of Professors at Work, where we explore with professors at the American University of Beirut the research they're working on, what they're finding, and why it matters to the rest of us. I'm your host, Rami Khouri, from the Media Studies Department, and our guest this week is Muna Fawaz, Professor of Urban Studies and Planning at the Faculty of Engineering and Architecture at AUB, and she's one of the co-directors of the Beirut Urban Lab. Dr. Fawaz, thank you for being with us. Good morning, thank you for having me. So, uh, the Beirut Urban Lab has been going for many years, but you've become extremely involved recently after the port explosion. Uh, we'd love to talk to you about that. Give us a little bit of background about the Beirut Urban Lab and then how you got into the post-explosion work that you're doing. Sure. So, look, the four of uh, us who founded the lab really started collaborating seriously together on sustained basis in 2006, post the Israel war on Lebanon, when a lot of devastation happened both in Beirut's suburb and in the south. We worked uh, in parallel, formed a reconstruction group that contributed uh, a lot uh, to multiple ways of thinking uh, from a people-centered approach, how to address the recovery, protect heritage, while putting really uh, human beings and their return at the center of the process. We derived lessons that uh, after were taken to uh, multiple projects over the year include uh, and that really led us to want to found this urban lab about a year and a half ago to try and institutionalize our work and inform other uh, interventions. Uh, in the lab we've been organizing uh, before the blast uh, recovery work with training programs uh, with the students from Iraq, Syria uh, and beyond in which we try to uh, really think about what would be needed to get people involved in the recovery that uh, lets them stay where they live and contribute. So the BLAST was really sort of a natural extension of the work we do. And w after the BLAST happened, um, when did you decide to start focusing on it and what were the exact steps that you took with your colleagues and students? Look, I don't think it was even a question. Uh, the minute we heard about the explosion, we uh, had to, of course, collect ourselves, uh, collect the glass around us, make sure everyone is fine. But within a couple of hours, we were thinking, this is huge, how can we contribute? We think of the lab as a place that's anchored in the local context and that provides channels for students uh, at AUB, particularly in the Department of Architecture and the graduate programs in city planning, but also beyond in contributing and being in doing meaningful work and then thinking about it critically to inform other contexts. So the second day we were on the street, we were walking, we were talking to people, we were deriving patterns, we were trying to imagine how we can begin and that quickly materialized in multiple directions. Um, so if you want these directions really are derived from observations we had. If I want to give you a very quick example about where I'm investing, uh, we noticed immediately that there were many, many NGOs, uh, an absence of public agencies, and a lot of work that seemed uncoordinated. And from the third day, people were saying things like, already three people have asked me how uh, and where the damage is, but I don't even know whether I'll be able to repair. So we understood we needed to help in the coordination, and our lab had a big project called the Beirut Building Database that had developed a very uh, accurate map of Beirut that no one else had done in collaboration with the 
LNSDR. So I spent two days just going around and handing over uh, USB with the map to public agencies, right? The municipality, the Order of Engineers, the Higher Council for Relief, and then the NGOs, you name it, the Heritage, saying, please just use this, the Red Cross. Everyone started using this base map, and that began, became a place in which we could bring together things uh, and uh, really be able to now begin to say, how do we bring the data together? How can we bring a story together? How can we coordinate things together? That's one thing I can speak of other uh, initiatives, but that's just to give you an idea of how really you can contribute by putting your work from before and creating avenues for intervention. So when you started talking to people on the street and finding out what they were feeling, what they needed, uh, what they wanted, um, and then you would d develop the interventions that you thought you could do uh, usefully, uh, is it uh, fair to say that the Beirut Urban Lab tries to focus on the urban setting from the perspective of its inhabitants, first of all? Absolutely, yes, absolutely. So when you talk to people from the second day, the question is, will we be allowed to return? And there's a trauma that I also heard on the streets, interestingly, in 2006, in Harta Hrik, uh, that comes from the post-Civil War recovery of Beirut downtown. People say often, are they going to do a solidaire, which is the real estate company? Are they going to kick us out of here? Uh, and that's, a, that's something where people have to be reassured. And honestly, today in Marim Khail, I can't reassure them. I know from my research that there are 130 buildings in these districts that were already emptied from their residents before the blast because developers, predators were purchasing these buildings and emptying them. Oh. And so we want to be able to communicate with the municipality but also with the NGOs and the residents and uh, legal uh, counsel to empower them to stay in place, to prevent their displacement and to encourage uh, a recovery of the neighborhood that not only rebuilds what was destroyed but also allows to set it on a different direction where it works as an inclusive, vibrant uh, uh, neighborhood. Mm. Isn't this something that the municipality of Beirut should be doing? Look, of course, uh, we would love to have a strong municipality. Unfortunately, the municipality was slow to move. The city has a new governor. Uh, he is really trying hard, but when you walk in the governor's office, you feel like you're walking into the 911 uh, answer room, right? He just has to answer phone calls all the time, call the police station, tell them to stop, and you don't have a picture of uh, the big picture of things. How are you fixing the infrastructure if you want people to return? Who's connecting electricity, who's making sure that where the water pipes were damaged, they are fixed. Because if you don't have this infrastructure, it doesn't work. Unfortunately, we don't have this. And I have to say this, it hurts, but we know that the municipality of Beirut had a project with the World Bank that cost at least $2 million to do a resiliency plan for the city to respond to these kinds of threats. And unfortunately, it was not, not only nothing was deployed, but it took five days for the municipality to begin to distribute brew to volunteers. The volunteers were already there with the brooms. So we really need to, this really sort of uh, points to how important it would be to have functional public agencies. We're very far from this. So you're, now you're in the situation of uh, informally coordinating a lot of the work that's being done in the city in terms of cleanup or reconstruction or planning. Where is the exact focus of your work? 
one thing that really needed to be coordinated is everything that has to do with mapping damage and assessing it. And that's one place where we really try to coordinate with uh, our mapping capabilities. The other thing we're trying to coordinate is from the bottom up across NGOs. So we held a meeting a couple of days ago in Carantina, which is the poorest district of the city that was hit. And we had uh, about 48 non-governmental agencies and the municipality come to this meeting in the public park of the neighborhood and discuss what they're doing and how they can organize their work moving forward. And we're trying to work with them so that uh, relief is uh, coordinated across sectors, who's going to do health, who's going to do shelter, and then begin to get from people what will prevent them to come back or to restore their homes so that we can go channel between them and public agencies and inform them. On, this is the short run, right? If you hear from people, I need a structural engineer to be able, and permits to be able to fix my home, but I can't even afford that, and I know how to do it, I have a foreman. You need to be able to create those processes. This is sh really short term, people have to come back. And then for the lab, there's a very important dimension, which is recovery is a collective process. You need the neighborhood to be functional. And there you need people to be able to sit together and begin to think about how they imagine this restoration to happen, what will make them come back. And that's really the forte of the lab, to be able on the mid and long range uh, uh, be able to develop with residents proposals that can be advocated to municipalities, to public agencies, to NGOs, to international donors. So we link neighborhoods, we provide uh, communal infrastructure, uh, things that will be kept uh, to allow people also to recover from the trauma, remember positively these events. Don't forget, for a lot of people, it's not just stone. It's a serious personal trauma. We're hearing stories that are heart-wrenching. Um, you talk about the concern you have for uh, private developers to come in and take over the neighborhoods, and, and this has been going on, you said, for some years. Why, why are, is this the case? Uh, unfortunately, our uh, post-war economic plan never materialized in anything beyond the rentier state. And so what happened uh, in Lebanon is that most sectors of the economy were shut down and it became about attracting capital from abroad so that uh, we could make a little bit of a balance, balance a little bit our balance of payment. And one of the places, one of the only places where you could attract capital was real estate. And so f we began to see many, many incentives from the central bank and other uh, public agencies for people to put their capital in real estate. And this is something we had been documenting in the lab for a couple of years at least. Uh, after the financial meltdown, this became more serious because uh, People who had money began to understand that their money in the bank was lost, and so they have to take it out of the bank, and the best way to place it, since they can't take it outside Lebanon, is real estate. So we are we were witnessing already since November a major shift of capital towards purchasing real estate again, and the real estate market that was uh, stagnant began to move back and uh, recover with the local currency. This is really dangerous for a city because what you're doing is you're taking space that should be lift space, places where people work, live, play, uh, meet each other, create new things, generate new things, and you're turning it into an asset that's like a safety deposit box that's dead. And that will slow down the economic recovery of the country, that will slow down the recovery of the neighborhood for the residents. So this is a very serious alarm. Marim Khael, Jemaize were one of the uh, remaining places where you had a, a, a vibrant local life. 
and we need to recover it because if we want people to visit Beirut, to put their money here, if we want to build an economy that's not speculative, but actually somewhat productive, we need, we need these. We need the heritage in them. We need every aspect of them. And mostly we need their people. And who makes these decisions? Is it the parliament? Is it the Beirut municipality? Is it some ministry? Uh, are the voices of ordinary people heard? Do they count anywhere? Unfortunately, I don't think the voices of people are heard. Our political system, as you know well, Rami, is really built around sectarian allegiances and puts in place electoral mechanisms that reproduce the same political classes. So we end up with municipalities that represent certain political forces and parliamentarians that represent the same forces, and they're looking to serve these individuals, these few men. Uh, they don't look to serve the communities that they supposedly uh, represent. In Beirut, the problem is even bigger because in Lebanon, in order to stall a democratic uh, process, we are not allowed to vote for our local representatives where we live. We vote for uh, where our grandparents were born. So although I was born and raised in this city, and I think I've contributed more than almost anyone in trying to say something about it or to make a change, I can't even vote here. So that means that the local authorities represent a small political minority that has a lot of interest in the bank's survival and in the survival of the real estate speculative market. Short of changing this, it's going to be difficult. The good thing is that the mobilization may not have succeeded in changing the big political scene, but it's certainly giving a sense that uh, we need to uh, respond to people a little bit more on the ground to quell social unrest. And so I'm hopeful that uh, with that, uh, with us, we could be able to have uh, to take a few good initiatives or concessions, I should well, say. We're doing this interview after the explosion took place. Um, what is the most striking thing that you have seen uh, as you've interacted with the people in neighborhoods all around Beirut in terms of their fears, their concerns, their desires, aspirations. What struck you the most? The hardest thing I saw was a family that was living in a house that was structurally unsound and they didn't want to leave it. They benefit from rent control, which is one of the only remaining uh, pieces of supposed public good in the city. And they're afraid that if they leave, they will lose it. And they say they'll never be able to come back. And they were born and raised here. It's their life. It's their memories. It's their meaning. Uh, they would die if they were forced to go out. They don't drive. They're old. Uh, if they're thrown in the suburbs, uh, they will lose their neighbors. And when we stood at the balcony, they could tell me what was happening in every one of the apartments around them at uh, in the days before the blast and at the time of the blast. And you feel that there's still this anchorage, this sense of belonging, and uh, you understand that it's an accumulation of stories that you need to uh, adjust, fix, recover, but really shift the way in which things are done so that people are uh, placed at the center of it in a different way. Yeah. Have you focused heavily on the area immediately around the port, or have you looked at all the parts of Beirut where the explosion uh, caused some damage? 
Look, I mean, I live in Ras Beirut, so I can tell you uh, we had tons of glass shattered, aluminum flying. Uh, uh, so I know that this is all over at AUB here. The Faculty of Engineering, uh, where I teach, has severe damages in its labs. So certainly the blast affected the city way beyond. I know parents and friends who uh, live uh, as far as away as Jnah, who had uh, windows and doors fly. So we know that this is happening everywhere. But the lab has uh, made the option after three, four days to focus two main initiatives, one in Marmkhal Jemaize and the other one in Karantina, because we felt that these were neighborhoods where it was possible to set in place uh, processes that could carry beyond the immediate relief to a longer uh, range and really do an urban recovery as we imagine it that could bring some positive uh, uh, aspects on the long run for these uh, districts. And what has been your experience in terms of you and your colleagues coming from AUB or maybe from other universities, NGOs, coming into a neighborhood wanting to help sincerely? What has, your been, what has been your experience and how you've been received? And can you help create neighborhood-based institutions that will carry on after you go back to your university work? Look, our very, very first entry point, is great you ask, was with the Maroon Saman Faculty of Engineering uh, colleagues in structural engineering. So we just were responding to friends we knew uh, who called us immediately after the blast saying, I don't know if I can go get my stuff from my office. I don't know if this building's going to fall. Uh, what do I do? And so the second day in the afternoon, we were there just answering this. And that's how the idea of the hotline came uh, about. And it was set very, very quickly. And uh, that was our first entry point. So we came in responding to a request. And that allowed us to meet people and from these people to, uh, to grow. Uh, our experience has always been that unless you do that, uh, you can create a sense of estrangement uh, for people in neighborhoods, which is really well understood. Now, I have to say, um, it is heartwarming how much people trust you when you say you're a structural engineer from AUB. They know you have the credentials, and they feel safe. So even in a building where the municipality had told them to evacuate uh, two days later, they called us back and they said, we really trust you, we're not evacuating. And we felt good. We felt we had made a, signif a significant change for someone's life, and he was looking for money to fix his home. He was not going to get out and wait for and be uh, forced to stay for two months until he gets a clearance, we were able to call the municipality and say, look, we know that this is not going to fall. We've looked at it well. And it sort of solves itself. So you feel people trust you. And I like that. <laughs> and, and how can that uh, develop into a longer term, locally anchored uh, mechanism, whether it's a loose arrangement or a formal NGO that takes care of the neighborhood and going into the future? The, the recovery process we imagine leads eventually to projects. Uh, imagine a community center, a library, a park, things, uh, a green passage. And these kinds of infrastructures, when you create them with residents, have to be done with non-governmental organizations. Sometimes they're groups inside the neighborhoods. And sometimes they're already pre-existing NGOs that want to do these interventions. So these stay in the neighborhoods. And they become an infrastructure that allows people to continue to meet. We should say also 
that for at least the areas of Marm Khayel, uh, Jamaize, we're no strangers. These are places uh, many of us live in, go to, have friends, offices, etc. So we feel it's a natural extension. For uh, Carantina, which uh, you may know is uh, the uh, poor neighborhood of Beirut, really a site that historically was one of the first sites of massacres in the Lebanese Civil War, has seen enormous hardships. Uh, this neighborhood, uh, we will have to learn how to work there. And we're eager to do it, because if it, this becomes an opportunity where something can be done to restore historical injustice and to make a difference, I think on the long run, our students, AUB Center for Civic Engagement, but also the lab would be proud to know that uh, we managed to find a way to continue making a difference for the city. We only have uh, about a minute or two left. Uh, what are the main lessons you've learned now, and how will they impact your going forward in your academic work, your research and your teaching, but also in your outreach to the community? My uh, friends planners are trying to put the area under study. They want to freeze everything. They want to understand everything. They want to study everything and come up with a serious plan. And what I've learned from the previous experiences that I strongly believe in and is really being not only confirmed but strengthened now is that uh, we need to start with people. We need to understand what's preventing them from coming. We need to know what empowers them to come back. And we need to see ourselves supporting them in this process. And if we uh, care about things that we know from before, like heritage, etc., that we put the resources at their hands and with them to recover it. This is really the main lesson. And for me, it's something uh, I write about as a planner. I want to continue writing and learning about, of course, as a scholar, and that I think really should inform our practice. And this requires uh, expertise in sociology, economics, psychology, other than uh, engineering and urban uh, technical issues. Absolutely. And that's why, again, being at AUB is so great, because you reach out to colleagues and mm -hmm. you don't feel you're like in a technical team that uh, is just looking at structures. You're thinking about what's going to happen to the person when you tell them, I'm sorry, you're going to have to leave your home for at least two weeks. Uh, so if you know that, you can ask your colleagues in psychology and how do we do this and yeah. what, it makes a massive difference. Wow, amazing work. Uh, Professor Munafawaz, thank you very much for being with us. And we will follow up in the future, I'm sure, to find out where things are moving. Thank you, Rami. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Professors at Work, where we talk to AUB scholars about their research and what they're finding and why it matters to the rest of us. I'm Rami Khoury, your host. Join us again next week. Bye for now. <laughs>